0: If this is your first time joining us, or if you've been here a decade, we are so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. And if you're on campus or online, we are so glad that you've chosen to join us for this special Sunday. Now, if you were with us last week, you heard Pastor Carrie share that this morning would be a special service as we would have our intern, Lexi Presta, sharing with us this morning. And now if you've gotten the the chance to meet her, the pleasure to know her, you know that she has been serving so faithfully in our church during her internship. See here at Eastside, we value our internships. We have this beautiful history of launching men and women out into the world to serve in the church, in the community, um, and to serving him. And Lexi is no different. So Lexi, would you mind telling me just a little bit about how it's gone this summer? Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> Typically, I know internships
1: kind of focus you into one area. That's how a lot of ministry internships work. But for me, it's been really unique and special because I've gotten to do so many different things. I've gotten to work with Kayla in Connections. I've gotten to be with our youth group and back in the treehouse with Mark and Mary doing Summer Club, which I encourage you, if you are a parent, bring your kids. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then I've also even been with Preston backstage who does the online streaming and that kind of ministry. And it's been so special. and. For For me, what it does, it's allowing me to take everything I've learned when I was in college and be able to put it into practice. So I've really enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) Now, if you didn't know, Lexi is a recent graduate of Asbury University, and she will share just a little bit later on about her experience in the Asbury Revival. But before we get to that, would you mind just telling us a little bit about your family and kind of your background? Yeah, I grew up in Elizabethtown,
1: Kentucky, so it's a couple hours from here. And I have two wonderful parents, two older sisters and a younger brother, and I also have a little niece and a nephew on the
0: way, so. All right, well, I know that we are all excited to hear a little bit of your story and to also hear what God has put on your heart. Thank you.
1: So I just wanna start by just saying thank you for allowing me to be here today. It has been such a blessing to be at Eastside all summer and to do so many different things. I've loved getting involved. Because what that's done, it's allowed me to reflect on how much I loved getting involved when I was at Asbury. But back then I had a little bit of trouble learning how to say no to things. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. And when I was a junior, this led me to hit a wall and I hit it pretty hard. And part of it was because I had tried to balance all of these different roles and responsibilities by myself. You see, when I was a junior, I was a resident assistant and I was also a co-worship leader. And at the same time as both of those things, I was also the student who was chosen to lead our school paper. And I had so much fun doing all of those, but each of them in and of themselves were a lot of work and required a lot of commitment. And you might hear that and think that I'm steering us towards a conversation about how to avoid that how to avoid overcommitment and avoid busyness. But while that is important, and that could be a whole other sermon series for another time. No, what I wanna talk about today is how I tried to do all of those things alone and how it didn't work. Being alone didn't work. And people even tried to warn me about what would happen beforehand and in the middle of it all. They would pull me aside and be like, Lexi, I know you had a really hard summer and you haven't had a lot of time to rest and recover. Are you sure you wanna do all of these things? And if you are sure, would you like some help? I'm your friend, I can be there for you. Would you let me be there for you? But I would just brush them off. Be like, no, I got this. Because in my mind, all those roles were good things. And God had given me the skills and the abilities to do those. So who was I to say no to those? To Praising Him in those capacities. But the problem wasn't me saying no, it was me being too independent and too stubborn for my own good. I had committed to doing these things. So I thought that if I asked for help, if I let people in the good times and the bad, that I wouldn't be taken seriously anymore. In fact, I thought that it would make me a failure. Someone who couldn't use her God-given gifts well. No, I didn't want that. So I told everyone I could handle it. I could handle all of it and I could handle it alone. Has anyone here ever felt like that? Or been through something where you know that the odds are stacked against you, but you've remained stubborn anyway? Or like me, you had people genuinely trying to help you, but you respond in anger and frustration. Or perhaps recently you've lost a loved one, and it's been a lot, and you just wanted one moment to yourself. That's what you thought you needed to process what happened and just take a breath. But then all of these people were flooding your inbox and your messages Saying, I'm sorry for you. I'm praying for you. Do you need anything? Let me know if you need anything. And it became overwhelming. So you pulled back. You didn't respond. You thought I could handle this. I can grieve on my own. I don't need anyone else. Or perhaps you're having some relationship issues. Your relationship is falling apart or you're single and you're doubting your worth or you're a parent and you feel like you're a failure to your kids because you don't know what happened, all you know is that they're not talking to you anymore. They're not responding to your calls or text messages. Has anyone here ever felt like that? It can be a lot. But there's also this thing that happens when we go through those things. We don't want anyone to think that we can't figure it out because it's embarrassing, right? To admit that we need help, to admit that life is hard and that I thought I could do it by myself, but I really can't. I mean, we live in a world where the most common response to how are you is I'm fine, I'm fine, I got this. And that was the mentality, that phrase, I just kept repeating it my junior year. I didn't want anyone's help. I thought I could genuinely handle the multitude of meetings, my schoolwork, my friendships, my relationship with God, my health. I didn't want anyone's help. But do you know where that mindset led me? It actually led me into the hospital. My body physically gave out from the stress that I was putting myself under. My body couldn't sustain any food that I was eating. So then my solution was to just not eat. And as a type one diabetic, that really doesn't work. So that made my blood sugars kind of turn into a roller coaster, and they would keep me up at night. So then not only was I not eating, I wasn't sleeping. And I had a friend looking back on this time. She said that I was a shell of myself, but I never wanted to tell anyone about it. No, I, wanted, I was in complete survival mode and I wanted everyone to think that I had it all together. That's what we all want everyone to think, that we're self-sufficient, that we can figure it out. But the truth is, we're more alone and more broken than we've ever been before. Have you ever felt like that? Kayla's going to share a story about someone in the Bible who tried to do that, balance so many things and figure it out all on his own
0: and failed. The story I'm gonna share with you this morning is the story of David. And if you're not familiar with who David is, he's the second king of Israel. His story is found in the Old Testament. You see, David was the boy who was anointed by the prophet Samuel, when the first king Saul was no longer faithful to God. David was the kid who stood before the giant Goliath and took him down with the name of the Lord and a stone and a slingshot. David is the man who who led armies, who became king, who's responsible for so many of the Psalms that we read in our Bible. And at the time of our story, David has solidified himself as king over Israel. His kingdom is solid and he is good. And this story in particular, it takes place in the spring. Now, normally in the spring, a king would take his armies out to war to fight whatever battles they might be facing. And yet here we find David left behind. David had stayed home when his armies went to war. Now, maybe it was some sort of domestic policy issue, or maybe this particular campaign was a siege, and so he was waiting until the last minute to show up and win. Whatever the reason was, David had stayed home. And on one day in particular, in the afternoon, he began to walk up to the roof of his home and look out over the city. Then he spied a woman bathing. This woman's name was Bathsheba. And you see, Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. And in 1 Chronicles, we find out that Uriah was one of David's mighty men. See, David had like 30 guys who were these elite soldiers who were the top of the top in his army, and Uriah was one of them. And while Uriah was out fighting, Bathsheba was home. And David waited for her to finish her ritual bath, and he called her to him. And we won't get into all the details, but he slept with her, and she became pregnant. When she sent word of her pregnancy to David, I can imagine some of the thoughts that were rolling through his head. What have I done? I have slept with one of my best guy's wives. What am I gonna do? This is so terrible. I don't know what I'm gonna do. How can I ever recover from this? Instead of turning to someone for help, instead of turning to God in repentance, David took matters into his own hands in order to cover up his great mistake. See, first he called Uriah home from battle. He tried to play matchmaker between him and his wife, but that didn't work because Uriah was too upstanding of a gentleman. when Uriah went back, David arranged for him to be on the front line of battle where he was killed. After Bathsheba finished her mourning, she moved into the palace and David married her. And I can imagine David thought he had done it. He had covered all his tracks and he was good. He'd gotten away with it. But then God called a man named Nathan. Nathan came to David, confronted him. Using a parable helped him to see what he had done and how wrong it was. Nathan challenged David to return to God, to repent from what he had done. Because you see, David thought the thing he had done was so terrible, he had to take care of it on his own. But he couldn't do it alone. And so God sent him Nathan to draw him back to God.
1: Also just viewed Nathan as a friend, someone to be there for him. And David, as well as being a king, he was also the author of a, lot of a lot of the Psalms. And throughout the ones he wrote, you can see this kind of theme of friendship emerge. And not just any type of friendship, friendship that crosses generational lines. And specifically, I wanna focus on Psalm 145. It is the last Psalm that's credited to David and it's a song of praise to God. And what it shows is this, we can't do this alone. David couldn't and we can't either. So starting reading Psalm 145 verses one through three, it says this, I will extol you my God and King and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And I just wanna pause here for a moment because it kinda sounds like David is still doing things on his own. He's saying, I will extol you, I will bless you. Did he not learn his lesson? It sounds like a solo act. And it's easy to stop there and be stubborn like I was when I was a junior and think, oh, that's what the Bible says to praise God by myself. I can do that, I've been doing that, I'll keep doing that. But if you stop there, you miss out on this beautiful image that David paints about what life is supposed to be like. And hint, it involves more people than you think. So then continuing in Psalm 145, verses four through nine, The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he made. Did you catch that? Verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another. It doesn't say, I'm gonna do this alone. I'm gonna praise God alone and that's gonna be enough. And at the same time, it doesn't say one generation does all of the speaking and all of the other generations just listen. No, it's saying one generation commending God's works to another, one to another. And what that means is that in life, we can't do this alone. We need each other, we're stronger together because to be a follower of Jesus and to fully experience God's love, that steadfast love described in verse eight, it means we need people, we need friends around us. We can't do this alone. I mean, just think of David and that story Kayla just shared. He was the man who was known for being the one after God's own heart. And he tried to do it by himself and he failed. And if he failed, why should we expect different results if we're making the same mistakes that he did? We need people. When we isolate and hide away and keep saying, I'm fine, I got this, when we don't, That doesn't work. Change only happened when David accepted the presence of a friend. Someone God had purposefully placed in his life to speak love, encouragement, and truth into. We can't do this alone. We need friends. Friends in the previous generation, friends in our current generation, and friends in the upcoming generation. Otherwise, we're just like this link. We're alone and we seem pretty ordinary, but we can't really do anything or make much of an impact. We're possibly connected to God, but extremely disconnected from anyone else he's placed in our life. David was this way, but then God gave him Nathan, someone to pull him out of the dark, a friend. And if you look more in depth about David's life, you can actually see how many other people showed up. There was his best friend, Jonathan, his son, Solomon. And then if you expand even further into the rest of scripture, there's so many examples of friendship, friendship that crosses those lines, people who are doing life together, who are pouring into each other. There's Elisha and Elijah, Moses and Joshua, Mary and Elizabeth, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy and Lydia, they were connected to each other. It was one generation commending God's works to another. And now, if you look at this chain, it's longer, it's stronger because it's connected. And when I was preparing to speak and putting this message together, I came across this commentary And they describe David writing this Psalm in a very specific way that I think is super important. And it says this, the poet willingly owns himself to be a link in the living chain of worship of the great King. I just wanna say that one more time. The poet willingly owns himself to be a link in the living chain of worship of the great King. We have our own role, we have our spiritual gifts. And yes, God wants you to use them, that's true. But he wants you to use them in connection to other people, other members of the body of Christ. We cannot fully worship God and live into our purpose of loving him and loving other people if we try to do it by ourselves. It doesn't work like that. I mean, just look at Kayla and I. I needed her help to put this illustration together. It works better because she was here. We're stronger together. We can't do this alone. And I know in this day and age, that can be very hard to believe. And I'm sure some of you might be sitting in your seat or watching online and just doubting the possibility of generations being connected to have those kinds of friendship even exist. Have you seen the headlines, Lexi? Have you been reading the hate filling the news? If you're someone older, you might be grumbling about those that are younger than you. Have you seen what they're saying about us? They don't respect us. They just roll their eyes and say, okay, boomer, and go on their way. They think that we're useless, that our time is gone. Or if you're someone younger in Gen Z or a millennial, or the next generation that's after that. You might be grumbling about the older generation. Have you seen what they're saying about us? Have you seen what they've done? They don't believe in me and us. They don't have hope in us. They think that we're hopeless. So why would I connect myself to them? Can't you see it's easier this way? It's easier for all of us if we just stay in our lanes for me to be people who are my age, who think like me, who look like me. Can't you see it's easier this way? To which I would say, if that's been our response so far, and that's what we've been doing, and we're reading the same news, how well is that working out? I wouldn't say it's working out at all. And just to be fully transparent with you all, a few months ago, I would be agreeing with you. I wouldn't think that it was possible for generations to come together to serve God and love Him and love people well. But then a couple months ago, something beautiful on my campus occurred. It was an ordinary Wednesday and we had chapel. It was only supposed to last 50 minutes, but it turned and lasted 16 days. It was a beautiful and peaceful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it happened because some classmates of mine were connected to Jesus and Jesus had connected them to each other. And then more students joined in and some of the faculty were there and they heard about what was going on. And they're in the, most of them are in the generation above us but they didn't try to stop what was happening, nor did they try to take over. They joined in. They connected themselves to us. So then we're in this room where generations are all worshiping God together, praying together, reading scripture together. It was so beautiful. And I have so many stories from those 16 days, so many. But the one that comes to mind didn't even happen to me, it happened to a friend of mine. And in one of those 16 days, he's in Hughes, which is where we do chapel, and he was worshiping. He was connecting with God. And then for some reason, he felt led to turn his head to his, his, head to his left. And there he saw a child, probably about age six, and they were jumping, worshiping, praising Jesus with like this big smile on their face. And he thought that was sweet but he didn't know it was going to get sweeter because then he turned his head to his right and he saw a couple in their 60s doing the exact same thing. Three different generations, a lot of differences among them, but that didn't matter. they had come together in that moment to worship Jesus. And if you remember that story I had about myself, my junior year when I hit that wall and I tried to do it all by myself and I failed, You know how I got out of that? How I actually started healing and getting better? I didn't keep doing what I had been doing because it didn't work. Being alone doesn't work. No, what happened is just as God sent Nathan, a friend to pull him out of the dark, to set him back on the right path, God sent me friends too. People of all ages to help me in different moments when I needed it. Intergenerational unity is possible. It's actually God's vision for us. But I recognize that is also a very big phrase, intergenerational unity. There can be so many different meanings and interpretations. And what I'm not talking about is conformity. Intergenerational unity does not mean that everyone is becoming the exact same person, carbon copies of the other, no because intergenerational unity does not compromise the diversity of heaven. It enhances it. What I'm talking about when I say intergenerational unity is all of us acknowledging our differences, but not letting them keep us from coming together and serving God. If you read Matthew 28, we all have the same mission, the same calling to love God and share about Him with everyone across the world. That can be very powerful. Because when we, have, when we recognize that same mission and we see that kind of unity, that is recognizing that love that God has for us, because that's the love that's bringing us together. That's how we all become part of this living chain. So David goes on in Psalm 145 to continue painting this picture. Verses 10 through 13. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So why does this matter? How does this apply to you, to me, to us? Because you are a chain link, an ordinary chain link, but God never told you to do it by yourself. That's not how you were created. That's not how you were designed. That's not what you were made for. You were created to be connected. And once you recognize that and then allow God to connect you to other people, that's when you reach your full potential. And as you can see with all of these links connected together, Kayla formed a cross. Yes, that was intentional. (laughs) Because what that does is it, it just makes us stronger. If we don't connect ourselves to Jesus and allow him to connect us to each other, we would fall. It's those connections that hold us up, that keep us going. We're stronger together. We can't do this alone. So here's the challenge though. We need to find out and identify who our other chain links are. So for the first question is, who do you have pouring into you? We all need a Nathan, someone who is a little bit further along in their journey in life and their relationship with Jesus to speak encouragement and truth into our lives to set us straight whenever we're veering off path. When we're on that bridge of isolation and avoidance, they're the ones who bring us back. And if you're my age or younger, this could take a lot of different forms. This could mean a pastor, a youth group leader, a trusted professor or teacher, your parents, another trusted family member. For me, I've been blessed enough to have a lot of older people speaking in my life. But one I wanna mention just particularly is a woman named Jeannie. She worked at Asbury and she was the one that I went to when I hit that wall and I hit it pretty hard. And she was the one because of her connection to Jesus was able to remind me of where my worth comes from. It didn't come from the jobs I was doing and God wouldn't be disappointed in me if I needed help. We all need people like that and if you're someone older, I don't want you to count yourself out. God's not done with you yet. Just because you hit a certain birthday does not mean that you, can be pour, you can't be poured into. Because if you're in your 50s, you can find someone in their 60s. And if you're in your 60s, you can find someone in their 70s and so on. Or if you're struggling with your marriage, this could look like finding a couple who is faithfully committed to each other and to Jesus. A couple who can speak life back into you and your spouse. We can't do this alone. We need people, those pouring into us. That's what the top of the cross represents. And then once we can recognize who those people are, we can then look at the sides. Who are our friends, our partners? I call them mutual encouragers as well. Someone who's typically in the same place as you in your journey that can do life with you. It's not superficial, it's not surface level. This is a very special kind of friendship and it might take a while to find. In my life, this is my friend Anna and my friends Dakota and Elle. And I know that because whenever I go through something difficult, they are the ones who are always there. And whenever they go through something difficult, I'm there for them too. It's not transactional, it's intentional. An example of this is a few weeks ago, I lost my grandpa. And it's been really, really hard for myself and for my family But the reason I'm standing here today and the reason I have the confidence to even speak is because I have those friends. People in my life who have consistently pointed me back to Jesus, not so I can just recognize the hope I can have in him, but also the fact that Jesus is with me in my grief and he just wants me to turn to him in this time. Those are kind of friends that we all need. So I wanna ask you, Do you have that? Do you have partners, mutual encouragers that whenever you go through something, you can turn to and you know that they will respond? People who are willing and wanting to read scripture with you, to pray with you. People who say, I'm here for you and mean it because they know that you're gonna be there for them. We can't do this alone. We need people. And like I said, these are typically people your age and you can find them anywhere. If you're a student, you can find them in your schools or in your college campus. You can find them in Bible studies and small groups, your work. You need to identify people in your corner and recognize that it's not about gaining a multitude, it's all about intentionality. You need intentional friends who are investing in you as you are simultaneously investing in them too. Because once you do that, and you recognize the people that are pouring into you, there's this change that happens and you get filled up. And the beautiful thing about God's love when you experience it so richly in people like that is that it overflows. So you have to ask yourself, Where's your overflow going? Who am I going to pour into because I've had people pouring into me? This could easily be someone younger than you, perhaps someone new to the faith that has all of these questions, but the, the is there. They need someone. And I know for a fact that there are students like that here at Eastside. I've spent time with them, gotten to know them, hear all of their questions, And they ask some really good questions. They have that hunger for Jesus, but they need guidance. They need help. And I know the people running the show back there, Mark, Mary, and Johnny, they could use your help too. They can't do it by themselves, and neither can we. So we connect it, we connect ourselves to each other. We become stronger that way. And if you are a parent and you might have a student that's back there, maybe that's who God's pointing you that you need to pour out into. Maybe it's your kids because God has a vision for them. And no matter what they go through, he wants you to be the connecting point that points them back to him. Or if you're the one in charge at work, you have to ask yourself, are you creating safe environments where that vision, that unity can exist? that unity that God designed us for. And I know that can be a lot to take in. And I'm not saying you're gonna recognize all these people overnight. But the reason I feel like this message is so important and why I feel like God has put it on my heart so strongly is that the world has gotten stuck in a rut. It's broken. It's full of hate, it's isolating, and it's bitter. And that is the complete opposite of what God imagines for us. I read it once, I'm gonna read it again, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. All generations, generations united, generations connected to each other and to Christ, whose kingdom is everlasting and overflowing with love. And if you don't follow Jesus yet, or you haven't made that kind of commitment, please hear me because this message is for you too. You can't do this by yourself. None of us can, and we're not meant to. We can't do this life alone, and it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey you are meant to be connected. We need people above us pouring into us and we need partners, people at our sides. And because we have them, we can then pour into people, other people that are typically younger because that way we are truly sharing God's love as we were called to do. And you know, earlier I shared a little bit about the outpouring or revival that happened on my school's campus. And it was very, very special. So if you wanna talk to me about about it afterwards, I'd be happy to do so. But one thing that is important to note about that experience is that it wasn't anything Asbury did. There was nothing special about our students, about our faculty, our administration, the speaker that day. No, it was all Jesus. He connected us to him and then connected us to each other. It didn't matter how old or how young we were. There was this recognition that we were all created in God's image. We are all created in God's image. He loves every single one of us, those in this room and those who are not. He just has so much love for us and so much hope. That's why verse 13 is what he wants. That's his vision a dominion that endures and connects all generations. Because the sooner we connect to him and the sooner we allow him to connect to each other, that's when change happens. And change happens and suddenly our once in a lifetime experiences turn into everyday realities. And wouldn't that be a sight to see? experiencing revivals and outpourings every day, us all doing our part and connecting to each other and becoming part of this living chain of worship of the great King. That can't happen if we keep trying to do it by ourselves. We can't. We need Jesus and we need each other. So I just want you to be able to reflect on what that would look like for you.
0: Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. We are so grateful for the ways that you move and work and love. Lord, right now as we move into this time of reflection and into worship, pray that you will speak to each heart the message that we need to hear. Lord, as we think about the people in our lives, the ones who are pouring into us, the ones who are walking alongside us and those we are pouring into. Lord, if there is a void there, I pray that you'll reveal it to us. And then I pray that you will send us people to walk alongside us, to pour into us and for us to pour into. Lord, I pray that during this time of worship, our ears will be ready to hear your word. Our hearts will be receptive and that we can move into action, bringing you more glory in every aspect of our lives. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.
2: Name still, call the seed is still, the raging meat is still, every wave had your. the shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome thank you jesus
0: Lexi for your wonderful message this morning. I hope that as you go into your week, you'll you'll think about those relationships in your life, and that you'll be able to find those people who are pouring into you, the people that you can walk alongside with in your faith, and those you can pour into as well. Go in peace. You are dismissed.